And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 292 of Panelology. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. I'm JD. I'm Angela Bones Bullock. And better late than never, it's our favorite episode. Episodes. Wow. Favorite <laughs> comics that is staying in of 2021. Good. I mean, to be fair, it's kind of our favorite episode, too. Honestly, so, yes. My two so, favorite episodes right. are always this and the spooktacular. There you go. It's the favorite and the favorites. There yes. Yeah. How is everybody? It has been a minute since I've gotten to speak to any of you. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's been I'm, way, way too long. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that I'm almost caught up on my comics. <laughs> Rub it in. Oh, don't. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I, you know, talk to you lovely people. Uh, my cat is purring currently on my lap hopefully he will not suddenly move and just knock everything over <laughs> yeah, well they're cats that happens that'd be a catastrophe oh no all right oh, we're gonna get no. down to business and defeat the puns quick quick refresher on the rules because uh it's angela and jd's first time doing this with us and i usually forget to recap how this works each of us has prepared our top 10 favorite comics of 2021 and three honorable mentions the goal of this being to generate one consolidated list of 10 books that is panelology's favorite books of 2021 how do we do that you ask well First, we count the number of times a different title appears across each of our lists, not counting honorable mentions. We break any ties by then counting honorable mentions. So if two books each appear three times, and one of them makes it in someone's honorable mentions, that book will rank slightly higher than the other. If we have books that appear equal number of times, including honorable mentions, then we average the position the book is in each person's list. Now, uh, in the tradition of Jin, JD and Angela have not actually ranked their lists. So they are all weighted evenly at 5.5. Brian and I have ours weighted based on position because we did rank our lists. All of that comes out in the wash. Uh... And at the end of the day, anything that doesn't actually get settled algorithmically will take a little break after we go through our lists and we'll negotiate those positions for. Yeah. Does I, that I, make sense? Yes. Uh, I, I was about to say, like, especially with mine not being right, I was like, prepared is a strong word. <laughs> prepared is a strong, very strong okay. word. Okay. <laughs> prepared is a strong word, I think, for any of us today. <laughs> yeah, um, fair. Can anyone really be prepared anymore? As as, as so. TikTok would say, that's a big word for Elma. <laughs> exactly. We are all trash. But not trash. Rocks today? Oh, God. 
No, no, because this episode will be six hours long. We're not yelling at rocks. We're yelling about our favorite comics. Brian. Yes, sir. Let's do your honorable mentions. Start with Shadecraft. Oh, yeah, Shadecraft. So um, this one actually, uh, this made my honorable mention because this kind of caught me out out of the blue. I was not expecting this book to be nearly as good as I liked it. Um, and really, honestly, it was it was the art that put it, put it way over the top. Um, the use of, of black and shadows was like, how did you do that? <laughs> Actual magic on the page. Actual magic in the comic book, yeah. Um, and, and that was it. Um, the, the story was the story was very, very good, but it was it was the art with it that put it way over the top so yeah i'm glad you mentioned this one in your list i almost tried to find a place in it in mind how about the last witch um yeah so this is um if for those who kind of listened all year you'll remember that i I did a lot of uh i did a lot of boom stuff this year um a lot of all ages kind of stuff and this was one of the two that um, I really, really found myself enjoying. Um, it kind of reminded me of when my kids were growing up and there would be some kid show that would come on that would like catch me by surprise, like how good it was and how entertaining it could be for adults. And these kind of had that same vibe. They're just good stories. So uh, loved it. Loved awesome. It. And a little book called Moon Knight. Again, glad you listed this one. Yeah, um, (laughs) this was another one of those. It it seems like every time Moon Knight kind of gets a little, I don't even want to call it a reboot, but like a new new start. Um, You know, that things mix up a little bit. The idea that he is opening a ministry where he's just available as the the person in the church in like a local shop and he helps people in the neighborhood like such a completely different kind of vibe for him that i just instantly loved that it's so uh, good yeah i i, I gotta say that, that that this current this current moon Knight run is is the first moon knight comics i've i've ever read uh i i do absolutely love the idea of just like this literally insane person is just in a shop waiting yeah. for someone to come in. It's like, I need help. And then he just goes, beats the shit out of somebody. <laughs> it is good yeah. to help people in the way that they ask to be helped. You know, uh, correct. Uh, I also love the, the empathy of it. I, I really loved uh, one of the scenes where um he's talking in depth to his secretary who's a vampire and she's just like why not only did you not kill me like after i was forcibly turned but why did you then hire me that was the first realization he had of people aren't what they are they are what they do and she hadn't killed anybody or anything she's like constantly drinking blood smoothies from a coffee (laughs) cup Mm-hmm. If I had thought more about this, I probably should have put Moon Knight in there. Yeah, yeah, I love Moon Knight. Uh, Dracula, I know you're here, you fucking nerd. Give me my goddamn money. <laughs> and on that note, JD. Red bullshit go! Uh, <laughs> Nightwing, you listed as an honorable mention. I'm going to get you to put a pin in that one. You will have a chance to talk about it later in the episode. But tell me now about Beta Ray Bill. Look, 
it's Danny Warren Johnson doing getting to play around in the Marvel space in his own unique way. Spinning out of King and Black, which I unfortunately haven't read yet, but I'm going to get to it soon. What's great about this is that even though it's spinning out of that event, there is no need to read that event. You just like have like the general knowledge of what's going on there. And then Johnson just gets to go full heavy metal and just send Beta Ray Bill on a quest alongside a alongside Sturge and Pip the Troll to get search for sword and it's like it's the most batshit insane stuff i got to read all year and i was very very happy with it and and like weirdly emotional weirdly Uh, emotional that's all of daniel that's all of dwj stuff like everything is like it's full-on heavy metal but also deeply empathetic the scene when bill is about to go off on his mission his friends are gathering around him i i do love when the executioner is just like (laughs) <laughs> the executioner is the fr- is not the friend you want he's the friend you need in terms of encouragement <laughs> where he's mm-hmm. just like you think we're gonna let you go on this extremely dangerous quest on your own you got another thing coming which is the quest for a giant flame sword by the way <laughs> again heavy metal it's heavy metal i'm looking at you murder falcon it's like the perfect inca- that's the perfect capitalization of dwj but beta ray bill is like it's just it's fantastic i love it how about the me you love in the dark look this book was described as for fans of stephen king and neil gaiman and what do you know they're two of my favorite writers and um angela Shit, and i have a, a yeah, neil gaiman podcast <laughs> that, so, that description also means that i have to pick this is another book i have to pick up so. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, and, and like, I I picked up the first issue off the rack solely because I saw that it was Scotty Young and Jorge Corona back together after Middle West. So and, and and getting to see them do a gothic horror setting was beautiful, and it's it's fantastic to read the story of that is simply about a ghostly abusive relationship, and to see it have such a weirdly happy ending uh and i mean that in a good way it's it's yeah it's it's kind of everything i ever wanted in a story just to have ghosts in a big weird house and creepy deaths and i love it i love it so much this was one i really really enjoyed too it just uh honestly i'm i'm not even sure why it didn't make the list because i did enjoy it very very much angela noctera yes. uh, so noctera is by scott snyder and it's a creator-owned work of his for image one of those things which i think he's really good at for his creator own work is like to think of just a really weird premise or not weird but just like just a really new feeling premise like american vampire okay like all the different variations of vampires you have in different myths are all real they're just different species of vampire and there's this new american breed of vampire who is, of course, uh, an Old West outlaw. <laughs> this one is, um, years ago, the world went dark, but not just like a regular mm-hmm. dark. If you don't have light, you then get mutated <laughs> into this night creature. And so humanity has to always keep the lights on. Tom Bodette, the hero we need. <laughs> <laughs> so a truck driver who is like they transport goods and people from town to town because like 
between towns there's no lights it's just darkness and dark creatures fucked up deer and birds that like are now 10 feet wide and he's he's really good at world building also i say how how much i love the fact that all the books that i kind of wanted to somehow put on my list that i didn't somebody else has managed to do that that's great yeah this is definitely one of those the idea of like just driving through a void between oases of of safety is like mm. yeah and and it's revealed in one of the first couple of issues that her brother is in the early stages of transformation mm-hmm. which is like your gums turn black is like the first sign what treatment is just like essentially uv whitening where it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Sun lamps. Sun lamps. We need sun lamps. Yeah, yeah. It's been a little while since that because it like went on a small hiatus and issue mm-hmm. seven just came out along with the Blacktop Bill special, which is like his origin. I have not dug into either of those. That's the main antagonist. It's a guy named Blacktop Bill. Yeah, it's ish. It's a uh, it's good pre-known stuff. I think one of the things about this book shares with Shadecraft and some of these other is the characters that they have managed to create as the lead characters are just a little bit unique and you can't help but like them. Mm-hmm. Your other two honorable mentions are both books we will revisit later in the episode. Okay. The Many Deaths of Layla Starr and The Department of Truth. Just because it's by James Tynan. I was pretty sure that it would be on my list, but like I actually legitimately only just read the first seven issues today. Uh, <laughs> but I still think it properly holds the spot on my list. The only thing I'll say about it until we can dig into it more later is the end of the first issue is uh, the last panel is um, my name is Lee Harvey Oswald and welcome to the Department of Truth. That's when I was in. That's when I was so into that book. Yeah, that is one <laughs> of the, the great last pages. My honorable mentions, Jalea, which is a TKO Studios graphic novel written, drawn, etc. by Juni Ba. Uh, it is a West African fairy tale that actually takes and sort of stitches together various different West African cultures, histories, and fairy tales, and myths, and builds together this sort of of almost swords and sorcery style framing narrative that's interwoven with adventures this group has been on before and other almost like fable parable kind of stories. And it's all done in this like rich, inky, chunky. I I, I read this thinking a lot of like Jindy Tartakovsky and Samurai Jack. Yeah. And then in the back, in the back of it, he actually mentions that, Cartoon Network, like early thousands cartoon cartoon <laughs> uh, stuff was a huge inspiration for him. Yeah, it's just it's such a good, smart book. And it's something I wanted to spotlight in part because I think we're going to see so much more of him coming up over the next couple of yeah, years. Yeah, he's got a he's got a new series out coming, like an anthology series. Yep, the and... first issue is already out. I haven't gotten to read it yet. Me neither, um, but I have it right there. But I know he's got backups and one-shots coming for Marvel. He's, he's doing just, a lot of cover work lately, too. He has. He has. I just, I love his style, and it's such smart work. I can't wait to see what he does next. Honorable mention number two, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Mm. It was one of my top ten last year. It's no less good now, 
Miles got his own clone saga that was really intense and personal and so well executed. I just love this book so much. I don't think there is anyone better to write Miles than Saladin Ahmed. I I have super, super, super behind on Miles. I think the last thing I remember is the reveal of like this one villain he'd fought uh new villain he fought was the 616 miles yeah and that's picking up from spider-man 2 which was like the last thing bendis did for marvel uh, for miles my last honorable mention is shang chi i'm kind of mad at myself for not finding a higher place on the list for shang chi but it's so good we both had the conclusion of the miniseries that gene lin yang and dk ruan were doing uh, starting in 2020 last year, but then also the beginning of their ongoing, which just picks up where that miniseries left off. In fact, it's all being collected as one set of trades. So the first arc of the ongoing is actually volume two, but it's a great reimagining of Shang-Chi. It gives him a really rich supporting cast of family members. It creates this great tension between his family and his heritage and his father's empire and the Marvel Universe's perception of him as a hero, and in that way that Jean Lin Yang is very good at, kind of turns into a theme distrust for people of Asian descent in this country and explores that. Yeah, because as soon as, like, everybody else finds out he's the head of his dad's organization, like, Tony immediately is like, alright, you're a villain now. Like, no questions. The fact that you've uh, taught Spider-Man Kung Fu had been for years working with the Avengers. If not, I'm not even sure if, I think he was an Avenger at one point, wasn't he? After the Hickman era, everyone has been an Avenger at some point now. Just like everyone has been in the Fantastic Four at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that's getting up there. I personally didn't know how many people had been in the Fantastic Four until the beginning of Dan Slott's run, where Reed calls on all of the former members and they all show up. You know, as long as there's only four at a time. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, gotta, gotta have that branding. All right, the round of ten. Uh, Brian. Yes, The sir. many deaths of Lila Starr, we will revisit later. All righty. Angela, Thor. Thor, I have absolutely been adoring, personally, in terms of Marvel continuity Thor. This feels like the first time he's felt like a god, like a different creature from everybody else and i absolutely love it i also love his new costume with the rune on it which traditionally does not have an association with thor but it does have an association with uh thorn which is what the he gives it as as an explanation uh in the first issue just the still having him be a person because he is like having all these different anxieties and family troubles and different stuff like that. But the scale of it makes the, again, like makes him feel like, like an old God, which I love. Yeah. I, this, this almost made it to my list. This, this in another comic is one of my two favorite Marvel comics right now. I also feel like I need to point out that uh, any book that brings back the pet adventures is all right by me. Yeah. Yes. No. yeah okay alex i'm so sorry <laughs> that i wasn't caught up when you texted me because you're like i need to talk about this and then i finally read that issue and i was like oh, 
before that last mission, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, we got the Pet Avengers, we did it. He finally did it. We're gonna get a miniseries. We're gonna get a miniseries. <laughs> that is that is one of my big called shots this year. Yeah. How does that it feel, Alex? Happy. It made me happy. It feels less impressive than the other one that I will be bringing up later. Okay. All right. Anything else on Thor? I've been getting into Norse mythology in general the past couple of years, and this definitely scratches that itch. The Dreaming Waking Hours is my number 10. I went round and round on what would be my last spot in in the list. But this is one of those books that I feel like I can kind of just hand anybody. I feel like just about anyone who would want to read comics, you don't have to know all the Sandman universe mythology to get it. At the end of the day, it's just sort of a chill story in two acts about kind of a himbo nightmare who is looking for love on the mortal plane and a trans witch who gets pulled into his bullshit and tries to support him and have his back. I'm sorry. Uh, I need to read this immediately. <laughs> it's, it's a right. It's a uh, G. Willow Wilson joint. Yep, with oh. Nick Robles on art. It is one of the most gorgeous books. I'm ordering of that the right last now. year. I'm ordering that right now. Yeah, I have a couple of the issues, but like I wasn't able to find the first half. So like I need I, I need to pick up the trades. Yeah, the trade uh, recently came out. It took it a while. Uh, but it's so good and so worth picking up. JD. Yes. Seven Secrets. Mm. Yes. So, uh, of course, listeners, as as it was already mentioned, this list is not ranked. So uh, Seven Secrets is my favorite Tom Taylor comic from this year. So we got the, in, the last issue of the first arc uh, in January of 2021. And then we also got all of the second arc. Uh, Seven Secrets is perfect. It really is. Uh, the I, I'm I'm still unsure of how to pronounce the artist's name. Alex, can you help me with that? Then Dan, uh, Daniel Dinicuolo, I think is how. You Daniel Dinicuolo, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're perfect. Uh, like the I, I'm not familiar with their work on uh, on Power Rangers, which is what a lot of people seem to. I am. Uh, it's very good. Of, yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but man, the the twists and turns that Taylor is able to weave into this story are absolutely insane. And like the 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 reveal of the of the first secret of one of the secrets in uh, in that last issue of arc one was devastating in multiple ways. And then you know throughout the second arc, it's like we're still dealing with the aftermath of that hap of that event. And we're still moving the plot forward. And on top of that, there are heel turns upon heel turns. And it's and 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 we just got the 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 third arc, the the beginning the first issue of that just came out. I haven't cracked into it yet. Um, but this is like if, if I wanted to hand someone a Tom Taylor book, like there are so many I could hand. Like I could give them all new Wolverine. I could give them friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I could give them Suicide Squad Bad Blood. I want to hand them Seven Secrets, though. This is the one I want to hand to someone. It's just all around an incredible comic. Cult of Tom Taylor for life. Brian, your yes, number sir. nine pick, Children of the Atom. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, I mean, Vida Ayala, that, that you start with that, right? Then you get a story that is absolutely completely different from what it presents itself on the surface and to be right you get these people who are 
I mean, I remember when they announced this and we looked and we were like, the the X-Men don't have sidekicks. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> right. Um, and so like it was gonna be like, is this gonna be like some alternate dimension thing? Is this gonna be I'm know, traveling children? Yeah, like what's going on here? And then it turns out that it's like no, the most – it's comic books. I hesitate to use the word realistic, but it's like the most <laughs> like just Occam's razor, man. No, these kids just found these abilities and are like, you know, diehard fans of the mutants, so they just create these personas. <laughs> and yeah. they're, they're, they're not even – well, the I, fact that they, they're not even mutants. <laughs> yeah, the fact that they jack tech to be able to do yeah. it. Uh, which will be, of course, in the Marvel Universe, teenagers are able to steal high technology. Well, you know, <laughs> honestly, what really, really put this series or this, this story on the list for me is how it dealt with the the conflicts that ended up arising from this stuff. Right. Like all of these people are all of these kids are like super, super mutant, you know, fanatic fans right and they want to be mutants so bad and then when it turns out one of them is like it, the rest of them don't really deal with it that well at first but then you see how to properly resolve those kinds of conflicts in a relationship and i i like it just blew me i mean first of all all the representation that's in it is fantastic and then Beyond that, just how the how those relationships, how people deal with each other and communicate and handle that conflict properly. I, I absolutely fantastic. I loved it. So I debated between this book and another. Uh, and I actually went with the other side of the coin for my number nine pick. I went with New Mutants. Oh, they Vita go. Ayala and Rod Rice. Yeah. Uh, I feel like these two books have a lot in common thematically I in terms it. of personhood and how you view yourself and the the sense of self that younger people actively have to work to develop mm -hmm. and how that feeds into representation i went with new mutants because i think i think to me it is looking back over the last year the strongest book in the x line it, it's funny the reason that i chose this one was because i felt like it wasn't as integrated with the other x books yeah. and therefore like if you wanted to just pick it up and read just this by itself you could easily do that yeah i think you're right one, so one one thing uh just a, a side uh, semi-related i love how marvel when they first got big in the 60s right were restricted to only putting out eight books a month and that's why you get all those like old school uh two-in-ones where you have like captain america and iron man because like they shared a book and like all this different stuff like they would split the book in half between two characters so that they could get the maximum amount of shelf space for their most amount of characters jump to 2021 <laughs> and the x line has three books a week coming out which is more than what other publishers put out in their entire run each week but the really wild part is also they're all so good. I was going to say, and they're yeah. all so damn good. I, I do like different crossovers with the X-Men and like other Marvel properties. But I feel like especially with the Krakoa era, X-Men should really be its own universe almost. Like it, it could be. 
it kind of is. I like that it is in how the stories relate to each other and 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 that cohesiveness, but it still is in the the Marvel canon universe. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a it's kind of an odd little trick they've managed to pull. Yeah, it's like each book like it's it works on three separate levels of yeah. like, you know, there's you can enjoy it the book on its own you can enjoy it as part of the x-men universe and you can also enjoy it as part of the marvel universe at large and for the most part i think i think the contribution that the books have to the marvel universe are really kind of all the books as a whole not necessarily one individual book you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's it's almost like an individual book doesn't necessarily and there's obviously some exceptions but doesn't necessarily contribute directly to the marvel universe but like then when you put them together they become something bigger that absolutely does so i don't know it's it's like a gravitational field it kind of bends the trajectory the last thing i want to say about new mutants is is the art Mm. is absolutely incredible brian i don't know how caught up you are um but we get some like everyone goes into the shadow king's mind or the astral plane or some such kind of kind of I think the last one I've read is the first, the first one they do that with for cool yeah i think that's right the way that rice bends mm-hmm. into a sinkevich style like it still it feels is. like him but it, feels that, like clear homage to the roots of the team is just absolutely. incredible absolutely i remember i think we talked i think that was the last one that i talked about cool. where i was like yeah this absolutely reminds me of the old sinkevich new mutants like it's not the same but yeah like you said they're very definitely in that style and tribute to yeah yeah king the conqueror i like everyone <laughs> loved king in uh, the end of Loki, uh, or I should say, he who remains. This miniseries concentrating on King, kind of tweaking a little bit with his origin, or at least how he tells his origin to himself, or even how like this specific version of King is like because it's like I like I don't know if it's like multiple universes, of course, or uh, crossing over because of the nature of time travel, the kind of Greek tragedy of uh this miniseries of Kang as a child meeting older Kang. He's like, I'm going to mold you into, you know, the conqueror. And then just seeing how he's an alcoholic loser who abuses his younger self. And then you slowly see him turn into that. And then after he gets to that point, you then see him push away and destroy the woman he loves through his actions by trying to save her. Kind of a little Doctor Who-ish thing there with um, uh, 12's first companion. I am blanking on her name. Jenna Clara. Coleman, uh, yeah. Clara. Yeah. Clara. Yep, yep. But it's the exact same plot point with Clara, where, like, he does something to her much later that then scatters her across his timeline, uh, or the timeline in general, and he just keeps running into her. It's weird. It's definitely probably worth a reread in terms of just, like, the the nature of the non-linear story it's linear but not at the same time i think you hit the nail on the head when you said greek tragedy but it is greek tragedy and time travel paradox yep it is both of those things in one jd yes now is the point where we talk about the department of truth okay (laughs) (laughs) 
He's all a flutter. Uh, JD is I, all, yeah, all look, a flutter. Here's, here's the thing you need to understand, audience. I fucking love this comic. I love everything going on with it. I love Martin Simmons and his art. And it, like, it, like we were, you're, you're talking about Sienkiewicz earlier and, and like the roots of New Mutants. Martin Simmons, I feel like, is a is like a child of the of the world of Sienkiewicz. His art perfectly matches that that style, and it's perfect for this world in which the idea that if if enough people believe in conspiracy, it will come true, which is just that's that that's so much to fathom. And this series keeps building and building and building. And I love that in between each arc, we also get two one shots that like deal with something. So like, I haven't read the most recent issue yet. So all I can say about it is Mothman. Like they're going to dive in. They're going to dive into the Mothman conspiracy shit. Like they've already, you know, dived into just like, like this satanic panic and the and flat earth there in the flat earth conspiracy <laughs> in JFK I mean we already mentioned that Lee Harvey Oswald like he's the director he's of the, the Department director. of Truth and there's also there's a conspiracy going on around that now that they've that they've brought up there's so much going on here when I was catching up with this I was thinking okay so Tynan was writing this at the same time that he was also writing something is killing the children at the same time as the nice house in the lake, at the same time as Batman, at the same time as the Joker, how is he this good? Don't don't forget his contributions to Razor Blades, which he also edits. Yes, his, the, the the horror magazine. Like how how does he how is he that good? He is like like he's up there as maybe one of like the like one of the five best writers in comics right now because just the sheer insanity and creativity that is on display in just in this book alone and yet he's doing that across every book i was gonna say and well, none of those titles you mentioned are are, are like slack anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah on every issue on every one of those books that i just mentioned it does not slouch it is mm-hmm. I, everything is great top to bottom I, I will also say like what i personally really love about the deeper aspect of it because like the yeah, like just the on the surface of like Lee Harvey Oswald is a head of a secret government organization that <laughs> that uh takes down conspiracy theories is an insane premise. But then like he uses that as a jumping off point to like comment on the nature of truth itself. I'm only up to issue to uh, issue seven reading reading it, but issue seven is one of the one shots in its Doc's origin of how he came to the Department of Truth. And he had, like, been digging into a UFO men in black conspiracy. And him doing that is what brought him into the Department of Truth. But then, like, uh, Doc makes the comment, and I think this is, like, not that there weren't conspiracies and stories and different stuff like that before World War II, but just the utter devastation. World War II is, like, by far the biggest war the world has ever seen just in terms of the amount of destruction the amount of casualties the amount of civilian casualties it's like it's almost incalculable in terms of just the sheer scale of that shit and then it ends with the realization that one bomb can now destroy an entire city in a second and just how that kind of broke humanity's collective psyche and like what 
could be possible because like if you if like you read different stuff like we've been talking about like oh uh the world's ending for thousands of years uh some of the oldest writings we have is like kids today are disrespectful to their elders and the world's going to hell in a handbasket the whole premise is is like people believing something makes it real uh i mean because yeah like i mean like the they mentioned QAnon, like the QAnon conspiracy is real to those people and it caused them to storm the capital like this like these stories do have real world consequences and he's just kind of using this i think as a way to process the insanity levels that conspiracy theories have come to yeah and it's it's almost like an interesting companion piece uh since it ended since it also ended last year uh to tom king and jorge fornez's rorschach comic Mm -hmm. yeah which i have I, I've only read the first issue of that one. I, uh, I binged that whole thing in a day. And I, and by the end of it, I was like, okay, I liked it. I don't know how to feel about it, but I know I li- I enjoyed the <laughs> ride. I don't know how to feel about it at the, at the end, though. But I know at least it's like it's it's a good Tom King comic. That mm-hmm. I, I much prefer this one, though. Like, like leaps and, this is leaps and bounds ahead. Let's take our first interlude and talk about some single issues. I want to shout out Wasted Space number 25, the finale of the series, just because I thought it stuck the landing so well. And we talked about this when it came out, so I don't want to don't want to belabor it. But it does a really good job of grounding itself in this this sort of philosophical nihilism that says if nothing matters then we have to make things matter ourselves that almost in in contradistinction to a book about conspiracy theories sort of gives a purpose to like finding meaning in things it was well executed it ended in a way that surprised me and uh, I dug it. I was, I was, I hate to see it go, but I'm glad that it finished well. How about that Hellboy Family Ties one shot? Uh, that is, uh, I think it's supposed to be set in like 1957, something like that. Yeah, it, it's just a great Hellboy one shot. They are tracking down a mass paperback copy of a uh, demon uh like like necronomicon type book that got mass produced uh and so the brpd has been like slowly tracking down these copies before (laughs) someone reads it and shit happens and in this particular one they finally find it in this small town where this old woman ended up getting possessed by a demon but her real life personality is just a hard ass bitch to her family and so like you have this demon like still trying to keep this iron grip on this household the way it ends is um the daughter finally yelling at her now literal demon mother uh she's like no you constantly criticize my son you put down my husband in my house and (laughs) just this catharsis of like even though this woman's mind is probably like I, I don't know exactly how she's processed it, but like it hasn't really registered that her mother is now li- a literal <laughs> demon. <laughs> like, so she's just yeah, like exorcist type thing of just like, but instead of like being creeped out, she's like, no, you listen here, and uh, help is just like, well, I went okay. <laughs> See, Alex, yet another example of why you don't read from the book. I'm telling you, like. 
Could it actually get worse if I read from the book? Maybe reading from the book would be an improvement. JD, timeless. Oh, man. Uh, see, look, we, 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 how we feel about Tom Taylor here in, within the cult, um, we're also, I feel like we're also starting to feel the same way about Jed McKay. Just like everything he touches is just, is just turning to gold. Um, I've not been reading uh, The Death of Doctor Strange. I'm sure it is wonderful, especially having the Shadecraft art team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this one shot involving, uh, yet again, we're talking about Kane the Conqueror. But this time having like, basically doing like kind of a Doctor Who thing, bringing along a companion to, through throughout time. But instead of them going on adventures, it's more of, I want to show someone how I am the best of the best. And not just how I'm the best, why I'm better than Doom. Yeah. Specifically. Specifically This historian is like Doom is going Doom will will stand will stand head and shoulders above all villains and why he um has defined essentially defined villainy throughout history. And Kang is like yeah, no, I'm bitter. I'm going to be a petty ass bitch about this. Uh, no, I'm the I'm going to be the one who stands above Doom, and I'm going to prove it. And you're coming along with me. And the the sheer pettiness and audacity that Kang has to just you know go throughout time and then confront <laughs> confront a Doctor Doom who is actually futuristic Reed Richards who has just completely fucked over his entire timeline. Is, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and and yeah, it's he has and, two and of the, the infinity stones as his eyes. He's yes, it's just it's sheer insanity. And to add to that insanity, a word that I keep abusing on this on this episode, apparently, uh, the final page reveals that this historian has been uh, obsessed with a particular logo, but he can't figure out why. What is that logo? It's We're not going to say. Okay, we are going to say. <laughs> it it broke Twitter. Like, I, I mean, look, everyone knows. Yeah, Alex. I yeah. guess I'm just still mad at Marvel for spoiling it in a press release before I could get the issue. I know. Yeah, I I am mad about that too. But yeah, it broke Twitter. Um, Marvel is apparently introducing Miracle Man into the Marvel universe, which is. Ins, which is, is incredible we've like all of us collectively have been talking about who we'd like to see if they're going to do miracle man i know like kieran gillen and teeny howard and al ewing and vita ayala have all kind of been like at the forefront of our minds like those would be our our like our people to write that book don't forget um, magdalene visaggio magdalene visaggio of course or what you could you know you could do uh like in reference to like uh what they've been doing with spider-man right now uh and beyond just have all of them collectively write the book together. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I I am just wondering exactly where they're going to go, where they're going to go with it. Cause like one thing that I've, in terms of specifically with Miracle Man, unlike DC, which has black label, you know, which is vertigo rebranded for whatever reason. Um, Marvel doesn't really have an adults only line. It used to have it used to have Max. Yeah, and then they had like the uh I think it's called Icon. They had like Icon Entertainment was like another That icon. was more for like creator owned type stuff. Here is yeah, what I'll that's... say about about Miracle Man in continuity though, and then we will move on. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't see it as being that different than Watchmen characters showing up in DC continuity in terms of like bridging that gap between a mature line and 
general general public. Yeah, it's yeah. just interesting to see like this this superhero who was who was taken as a Captain Marvel knockoff into becoming a a representation of superheroes in the quote in quote unquote the real world. And and it's it's going to be interesting just interesting to see how Marvel is going to handle that now that they're bringing that into their continuity. Yeah. yeah. Brian, did you have any one shot or anything like that you wanted to shout out here? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I didn't prepare one. So, all right, the number eights. Then I'm going to go first this time. The other history of the DC universe. Oh yeah. Uh, it is an incredible book. It is prose and illustrations, and takes the histories of five different. DC characters from various marginalized groups roots them in the real world civil rights history of the United States in the sort of decade that they originally appeared and ties everything together in sort of a real time chronology. So over the course of this series, it covers about 50 years starting with uh, uh, black lightning and ending with his daughter thunder. Mm -hmm. and uh other issues cover mal and uh mal duncan and i'm blanking on the other duncan's name uh, kick uh starts with k uh karen thank you mal and karen duncan renee montoya and um uh, katana uh, katana um wow old brain's awful um yeah. tatsuo thank right? you yep um did you alex did you get the hardcover of this I have not yet. Keyword being yet. Oh, oh, it is gorgeous. Like I am I so happy, so so happy. It is amazing. Um, it's also like a good time to point out John Ridley has done a lot of comics work this year. Mm -hmm. He has written Batman. He has written this. He's writing Black Panther, and he's just killing it. He's an incredible comics writer. Cannot wait to see more of what he does. If you have not checked this out yet absolutely mandatory reading in my world yeah and it, it, it it's a unique way of how it was presented i liked it yeah. yeah yeah and also like you know tying john ridley back to like like the comics world like you know a lot of people know john ridley as like oh yeah he he wrote 12 years of slave and he's a great and and you know he's he, you know if, if that was the only thing he got known for like that's great it's it's, it's a great film and he's a great writer and he's a great writer but also, like his comics work is 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 extensive, and like Alex, I think like on air on an, on an episode uh, we recorded some time back, you and I both found out that he wrote an authority comic, which I own and have read most of, and really dig. And I and I have that as well. Also, uh, something I I discovered um, when I was doing my uh, my walkthrough of the Justice League cartoon, he wrote an episode of Justice League. I didn't realize that. Do you remember which one? The, uh, he wrote the second part to the Star-Crossed finale. Awesome. Uh, also, just just to satisfy my uh, n n nitpicky uh, historical brain, should clarify, wrote the adaptation of 12 Years a Slave, because that is actually yes. yeah. Solomon yes, Northrop's right. memoir uh, originally. Yes. Uh, because Thank you for bringing that, that up. Yeah, because that actually happened to that man. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's not. It's not like oh, I'm just going to write. No, like that's that's a true yeah. story. It's yeah, like that. Awful, yeah, awful true story. Yes, exactly. Um, JD, time before time. 
<laughs> I th- okay, I want to ask, am I the only one who has been reading Time Before Time? I read the first issue. I'm going to revisit it in trade. Okay, yeah, I, so I, I, yeah, I have not. Okay, so I'll briefly explain Time Before Time very quickly. Uh, this is uh, it's set in a far, far future um, where, where time travel has become a normal thing. There are, and like it's become like relegated to the black market, kind of like how kind of like how it is in the Ryan Johnson movie Looper. But in instead of the mob using it using time travel for executions, instead they are like people can go to. Uh, certain organizations on the black market to relocate themselves into other time periods to get away from certain things, whether it be the the other shitty world they live in, debt, uh, assassination attempts, whatever. Like they are able to travel time travel time. So, so, so a time so a time travel uh, uh, witness protection program. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> and. Uh, but we follow uh, the main character who I'm actually, I'm blanking on like the names of every single character in the book. Our main character uh, has decided that he is done with the shitty world that he lives in. And he and his friend decide to uh, steal one of the time travel pods from their job. Cause they're, cause like we're following one of like the guys who helps to relocate people with this black, black market group. Um, and then he gets, accidentally kidnapped by an fbi agent and gets time displaced and that's the that's the story we're following declan shalvey i i knew as an artist mostly um and then uh i found out he was writing he wrote a really great comic called bog bodies he did a hulk one shot i think that was i think that was last year yep and yeah and he and he like he wrote and drew that but now he is full-on writing with Roy, um, Roy mcconville joe palmer's uh, on art and it's it's a really fun engaging story i'm 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 all here for a time before time i i really want more people to read and talk about this one brian daredevil yeah uh well i mean you know i'm gonna get a zadarsky book in here somewhere oh yeah come on you have to um this was one of possibly my favorite takes on daredevil i i i mean and it's so odd because the idea of matt you know going to prison and trying to own up and pay for what he's done like that's not new like that is matt right but the idea then (laughs) yeah the idea then that electra comes in and cares so much about matt that she's willing to to it reminds me a little bit of of like the jason todd mentality of okay if i'm operating in gotham i'll play by batman's rules kind of thing yeah right and it's the okay if i'm gonna be daredevil while matt's doing while matt's in prison then i'm gonna have to be daredevil not electra so i revisited last year's favorites episode uh Uh over this weekend you did in that episode when we were talking about Daredevil, jokingly exclaim in frustration that this was going to end up being the book that made you like Electra. <laughs> Guess what? There you you were right. Yeah, of course I was. Oh my god! Now this, like, just an absolute fantastic tale. Yeah, Top and. To bottom. The Devil's Reign event that spins yeah. out of this has been so good so far. I haven't gotten to read the uh, Daredevil Woman Without Fear number one that came out this week yet, but 
So is that a, is that the new ongoing now? No, it's it's three issues. No. Okay. Uh, basically, Devil's Reign and all its tie-ins supersede Daredevil for now, and when that's over, we may get more Daredevil. They're playing coy about it. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the Avengers No Road Home, like when when yeah. they just the main the the main titled book kind of goes on hiatus and then the the event takes over for it. I yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. I I will say I, I want to get this on mic for possibility of next year's uh episode. Speaking of uh last year, Brian joked, Oh, this is gonna make me like Electra. I forget who the writer is, but uh a Carnage book was announced. It's Rom, Rom v. v. I am Rom mad. I'm mad that I'm going to have to like Carnage in 2022. <laughs> That's not right. I'm going to make. I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Carnage is going to be is going to be spoken about extensively on next year's episode. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be on our list or it's going to be an honorable mention. Yeah, you're probably not wrong because Rom V. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> because Rom V. It was bad yeah. enough liking Cable. <laughs> and Scott Summers. Teenage, and Suicide Teenage Squad. Cable, <laughs> Teenage and Cable was Teenage Cable uh was hilarious and uh in, in the Xbooks where like Jean Grey is just like Nathan, but st- stop playing with your guns and come eat. Yeah. It's dinner time. You're number eight and my number seven. Something is killing the children. You're number five and a half and my number seven. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm also a, a latecomer to something is killing the children. I started picking up issue 16, which is the flashback arc. I then bought that big, beautiful hardcover collection of the first 15, which is the entire first arc. The Archer's Peak Saga. The Archer's Peak Saga. And it is probably like in my top three. In actuality, it is extremely fun. Uh, I am currently working on a Erica Slaughter cosplay. <laughs> it's it's a fun uh, romp about hunting monsters and processing all of your trauma. Yeah, pro- and then I can't wait uh, to read it. Yeah, and it's just like, but also it doesn't like it doesn't shy away from how dark the premise is because, like, when it says something is killing the children, something is killing. The ch- like ch- many children die horrifically in this book. Um, one of the most heart wrenching scenes I read all year is in uh is in the first arc where um one of the grandfathers of the children that had gotten killed is sad drinking at a bar. And he says, people say like, oh, like, you know, you, you know, you, you, you remember them as you think of them as a baby and like, remember holding them and, and, you know, they're sweet. He's like, no, he says, what I am mourning is the moments I saw the good man he was turning into. Like, that is what I am mourning. Um, Punch. It's also another example of what Brian, I think it was Brian was talking about earlier about how so many of the things we're talking about this year. Really involve very clear and unique and crystallized character design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Erica Slaughter is immediately iconic. Yeah, and 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 like in it, just kind of like a like a general tracksuit. Like she has exercise pants with like white stripes on the on the thighs. Uh, wears a um, 
uh, wears a, a tank top. Uh, and then, like, a green jacket when she's not wearing, like, over the tank top. Um, but, yeah, like, the she has really dark set eyes from just, like, the lack of sleep she gets. Christina Ricci eyes, I always think of them as. She's got the Ricci eye. <laughs> yeah, and she has hair covering her her uh one eye all the time uh until she like goes into like monster killing mode and then like that flies back and then you see this really cool scar on her temple the subtle world building that is done in this book because things aren't spelled out necessarily of like all right character's gonna sit down and exposition dump like there's there's never any of those moments it it has kind of that 80s movie vibe of we're going to give you slightly less than you actually need to understand how this works, because mm-hmm. how this works isn't actually what's important. Exactly. Now, with that said, do we also have an incredible queer pre- queer romance prequel that gives us a lot of those answers? Yes. Yeah. But that's a conversation for next year's favorite comics. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> that's not finished coming out yet. And, well, and then also speaking of that, like this is also written by um, James Tynan as Department of Truth is. Um, I feel like the Department of Truth POV character is a slight self-insert character for uh, for James. Um, looks like James, but with blonde hair. But then the kid in the town that Erica talks to a bunch. Uh, is named James and has black hair <laughs> like James has, like, like just flat out. And also important is that both of those characters are gay, as James is uh, as well. By or is he, specifically, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. I was about to say like it's, queer, yeah, yeah. Uh, the queer spectrum. This is my punk band in high school, <laughs> Brian? Yes, sir. We will revisit Black Widow oh, in a little bit. Oh, oh. <laughs> Somebody's got it ranked. I like yeah. it. I like that it. Is, that is Brian's number seven pick. That means, JD and Angela, tell me about some once in future. Yeah! Oh. Uh, this competes for me for my tops, my personal top slot with, uh, with Something is Killing the Children. Once in future just hits everything that I love. Mm-hmm. which is encapsulated in the grandma character i'm blanking on her name currently um at one point yelling to the villain who is king arthur about lancelot he's the french the that fucked, fucked your, your wife, wife. <laughs> the single best panel of comics in 2021 you cannot convince me otherwise <laughs> And yeah, I say no, I like, have I have zero doubt that the only reason this book is not on my list is that I at some point got a little bit behind on it and I'm like I have only read like three issues of it and I'm like oh, okay I'm just gonna have to binge the whole thing at one point. Literally a conversation we had in last year's episode, Brian. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um Look, the thing is this book is perfect. It's it, it really like as Angela points out, it does kind of have like it takes all the boxes for 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 all of us and you know it, it helps the fact that you know, angela and i have again we have a neil gaiman podcast and this honestly if someone told me oh actually it's neil gaiman writing it i would believe you but yeah. that's because Kieran gillen is like is a nice successor 
uh, to, to Gaiman's style into Gaiman's style of writing. The basic premise for those that have not read it is it turns out that all of the stories are real, but they're still stories. So like you, they only become real when you get caught up in them and when you believe in them. So it is Duncan is visiting his grandma in her group home. Uh, I forget what the impetus is, but something happens where like she escapes, quote unquote escapes, but she, she just leaves. Because she doesn't really need to be there besides like she just needs human contact. <laughs> See all the reasons she's And she's, she's quote unquote crazy. Yeah. Because uh, she believes all these things, but it's actually because, you know, they're yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, they are there. So the, the first issue... He's trying to find her and like shuffle her back to to the home. Was like, come on, grandma, and everything. She's like, no. She points a gun at him and then takes her to her bunker. <laughs> Just a shit ton of weapons. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, I remember his like fiance is with them or something, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah. and it has escalated now, and maybe all of Britain has been plunged into the other world, and. Yeah. There may be two competing like, Arthurs. Yeah, yeah because yeah. they're in the, in like they, they're feeding into the idea of that they're that like King Arthur was possibly based on multiple different real life figures. So of course they're gonna have well, multiple different types of, of Arthurs. Well then also specifically like the the newer Arthur that shows up that like the one that they were originally battling is starting to fight is because, like, the OG Arthur stories we only have bits and pieces of. He's taking real-world history in terms of how these stories evolved. Arthur is very French in actuality, in terms of, like, the, in, like what we think of as the canon oui, oui. of it. But then also, at one point, um, <laughs> Beowulf gets resurrected. It's yes. <laughs> the so Beow- yes. so Beowulf and King Arthur fight. It's great. <laughs> it's, um, but then there also is like uh, there is a lot of heart to it as well of is like kind of the fucked up things that uh, Duncan's grandmother has done in the past that's been revealed because like she's part of like this very small group that's been doing this for a very long time with the royalty's permission and like she had said like I thought this was done but she had pissed off her daughter slash duncan's mom enough to like she helped resurrect arthur and so there there is like there's ridiculous to it but there still is also heart to it in terms of this growing straining relationship with his grandmother that duncan has because he still has to work with her because shit is still continuing to go south so like they do have to save the world but he's slowly not trusting her and not liking her as much i'm Um, gonna put this out into into the ether and then we will take another interlude Mm. but if once in future's basic premise is that these myths get stronger the more people are aware of and believe them Mm. and if the department of truth's basic premise is that conspiracy theories get more and more true the more people believe them can we just take a moment and all collectively to ourselves instantaneously imagine that crossover (laughs) i really wish unfortunately they're at different companies but i want creator owned it doesn't matter that is true. Uh, you're right. You're right. You can right. also you can also cross it cross it with uh we can also cross it with Sandman because there is that cat issue of Sandman where they establish if enough people dream the same dream, then that becomes reality. And we're gonna interlude there. 
Nightwing number 87. Brazen. Um, God, this issue is incredible. Yeah. I'm going to keep it quick because, well, there's conversation about Nightwing coming soon. This entire issue, however, is drawn as one continuous image. It is absolutely gorgeous. Bruno Redondo is just a genius for making this work. It was just a blast. JD. Yes. The Adventures of Young Diana. Right. So this was originally um, a backup in Mm -hmm. the ongoing Wonder Woman title uh, going uh, like going alongside the after the opening arc afterwards and was later collected as a one shot uh, by Jordi Belair. And I believe it's pronounced Paulina um, Gannon show. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I love I love the idea that before Diana became Wonder Woman, she was just she was just a curious child on this island and and she's roaming around having like like on this island having adventures with her like um and like her family's and like the like, people like people are like hiding secrets and they're and she's trying to discover them because she is she is so curious and she just wants everyone to just talk to each other and i really love it. I, I love the i love the art it's perfect yeah. i i wish paulina would would do more um i love jory Belair writing uh, this actually like reading this reminded me. Oh, I really need to go need to go back and read Jordi Belair's Buffy run because I know that's got to be incredible. It is mm-hmm. good. Um, it is good. Hey, I've got good news for you, JD. We're getting more of this during Trial of the. Amazons. I know, I know. I think it's not the next issue, but the issue at following. I think it's yeah. like seven eighty five. Is is gonna? It's, has, it's March. Bringing it back. I can tell you, yeah. it's March. Yeah, seven eighty five is the or six. I don't know. Yeah, the March issue is is coming back, and I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, everyone, pick up that one shot. It's yeah, it, it's it, really, it, really. If you great. handed me this book and told me it was a Boom Studios book, I'd be like, "Yep, sure is." Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, honestly, the, like shave the serial numbers off, like yeah. like take out Wonder Woman and like take out like the the concept of it being a Wonder Woman story right. and it just being. Um, a story about a mythical island full of women, and you're just following the daughter of the queen. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's it's perfect, and it's a great introduction. Yeah. I, like I think it's one of the one of the best Wonder Woman, uh, like self contained Wonder Woman stories. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, because I I feel like it um it it shows her compassion, right? Like. People like people were giving so much shit to that uh, the, the Justice League, um, the Scott Snyder cut of Justice League. That scene where Diana saves um, these school kids from these guys, she absolutely destroys them. Just like brutally murders. I, these I kids. cannot let you put this on Scott Snyder. I am not normally going to turn around and correct, but I cannot let you put this on Scott Snyder. No, no, I'm talking about. I uh, know I'm. Talking about the Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, excuse me. <laughs> the skill. Yeah. I don't, didn't even notice that you said that you made that slip. Don't, don't put that on Scott. <laughs> yeah, Zack Snyder. No, when but, Scott but, no, when Scott Snyder writes Wonder Woman, he gives her a chainsaw. There's a scene in there, she saves a bunch of school children, brutally murders these dudes, and then turns to this uh little girl and she's in like is is comforting her and she's like you know, like, are you okay and everything? And she's like, "Can I grow up to be you?" And she's like, "You know, like, blah blah." blah. It's a, uh, uh, it is a sweet moment, but also like, it is really close to her having just murdered a bunch of people. But th- like, that is Diana. Like, she, 
uh, is was it Gil Simone that wrote that famous quote of Wonder Woman's, where she's like, the Amazons have this saying: if you um, do not raise a sword, if you uh, like, do not raise a sword before you have extended a hand. Do not raise a hand if you before you have uh, subdued an enemy, and or if you can like it. It's this chain of stuff where it's like only, only you know, escalate when you absolutely have to. Um, bec- but like also do escalate when you have to. Like yeah, kill a motherfucker if you if like they leave you no choice. But in the end, your goal is to save everyone, including your enemies. Um, yeah. and it's anyway. Long story short, I'm rambling. Uh, I feel like the fact that she doesn't, she is not older and in fighting shape and all that different stuff at this point. This this shows that that side of of Diana um, really well because she is. Uh, it's a, it's a character piece because she's just going around the island talking to different people and trying to find out more about the Amazons and their history. Yep. So it occurs to me there is one other place that. Department of Truth and Once in Future could cross paths. And it is my number six pick and JD's number 5.5 pick. They could cross over in crossover, <laughs> which we'll talk about more later. Uh, <laughs> I got super excited. And nope. then you brought it down for me. No. Brian, Spectre Inspectors. Yeah, I bet nobody else had this one. Uh, <laughs> nope. So all you, buddy. I don't know what this all is. Me, huh? This is uh th- th- so I-, I mentioned that you know I had read quite a few boom books this year. This was uh, uh this is one, and this is just a great little um five issue story that is absolutely could be for all ages, um, but it it's just a just a fun book i don't i don't even know how to say it it's just it was easy to read the characters were easy or you know very approachable um and you know even though like literally one person gets possessed and but there's like nothing off i don't know it was just i I don't know I, i i loved it i the artwork was beautiful um uh the idea that (laughs) <laughs> they are doing this kind of paranormal like Scooby gang kind of investigation of of ghosts and uh only one of them kind of really believes that it's real um and so the other one there's there's another character in the group that because she cares so much for this character wants to give her that so kind of fakes some footage um which then, of course, you know, really upsets the the person who believes, and then, of course, it's the one who faked the footage that ends up getting possessed. So, <laughs> to like show that do. it's real, yeah. So, uh, like I said, just just really, really good, and it, it really had kind of that Scooby, like I, I don't want to say it's like a Scooby Doo episode, but it had that like like just that fun investigative spooky mystery vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. Angela's next pick and Brian's number five pick, Nightwing. Told you you'd get to talk about it again later, JD. <laughs> Tom Taylor. Mm-hmm. Done um, it again. Mm-hmm. Done it again. But like also I, I want to um I my his the artist's name has not uh, Bruno Redondo. Yeah, Bruno mm-hmm. Redondo. 
um i really need to remember that name because like in terms of sequential storytelling he in on this book is just it, it is probably far and away the best superhero action i have seen put to page mainly mm-hmm. because he doesn't just have like cool poses for like each panel it is like he does a ton of these full page layouts where like you see uh dick grayson go through like the entire page with no panels but you know the sequence because of the the cause and effect of his movement of like where he is transitioning to in terms of like okay he has to next be in this position like it is just it is at like beyond even just tom taylor's uh uh amazing writing the compliment of the art to this because it is just some of the best superhero action i'd like i can't i can't overstate just how amazing the layouts are on this book consistently this is this is now the point where i'm going to uh recommend everyone to go and read suicide squad bad blood where they team up again and they do that same thing of just having amazing action storytelling Two things. One, you beat me to that. Two, also <laughs> gonna also gonna name Adriano Lucas, who is a part of both teams as well. Yeah, yeah the color and, the is, and, and also the lettering from Wes Abbott. Yeah. So if you want to know why this book is so good, because I'm gonna absolutely focus on the other side of this, and that is that Dick Grayson has kind of kind of always been my character, like you know, from Robin to literally the new Teen Titans and his transition to becoming Nightwing and that whole thing. Like, and certainly at least recently, I feel like uh, since Grayson, which wasn't a Nightwing book, right? It was Grayson. Um, he's kind of had a, a bunch of kind of hopeful starts that just haven't really gone anywhere. <laughs> um, and this is the first time that I think we're seeing his character really shine. And I say that in like Dick Grayson, not even Nightwing, like just what a good person he is and how much he cares and how hard he tries. And like that, the, the issue where we hear about, you know, the legacy from Alfred and what he takes and does with that. I, like just whole like i that literally letter. i cried that I, like I, there's not a lot of comic books that i have actually cried in I, like that was one of them like holy cow i, I just the I, story I would, is yeah I, I would definitely say that as well because like what a lot of the bat books are doing in the wake of um a while ago now uh of alfred's death at the hands of bane like there was a great moment in the Robin in uh, the Robin book with uh, Damien, mm-hmm. where he says like I have you know I have killed I have killed all my life like I have been surrounded by death all my life but Alfred's death is the first time that like I've I've understood it, like that I've felt it, um, and then you have a similar heart wrenching moment in this book. It's Alfred's last letter to <laughs> to Dick, and then you have one page, uh after he announces he has the press conference of like what he's going to do with all the money that Alfred left him. Cause it turns out uh, 
He made very good investments with the apparently obscene amount that Bruce has been paying him all these years. So, uh, Alf- so. Yeah. Alfred is also a billionaire. Oh, so, yeah. S- surprise. After the press conference, Bruce gives him a call and uh, says, uh, you would have made him proud today. Yeah. Or, or like you did make him proud today. And he's holding a picture of. Yeah. Oh man, oh, I'm getting goosebumps again right now. Stop it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, and like uh, I love that they like all him and like the rest of the family. Like, they have a they have a text thread. all just like <laughs> like showering him with praise, and then Jason's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cass yeah, only and, uses emojis. The, I was gonna say, yeah. and the fact that the orphan is nothing but emojis. Right. <laughs> So that that was that was the other thing I want to touch super super briefly is uh, I remember uh, Alex and I talking about how it was going to be a really I don't want to say a hard sell but like they were going to have to be real good about how they how they did this if they were going to make me buy into the 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 Dick Grayson Barbara relationship yeah, we were again. very skeptical yeah and well good job Tom Taylor <laughs> yeah yeah grand scheme of things did not even take a whole arc to turn us around. Good job, Tom Taylor. It, it, All it, it took, took was one took t-shirt of Batman slapping Dick. <laughs> yes. While 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 they're being interrogated by a police detective, and they're <laughs> and they both just drop that like we both went to law school. Like, yeah. yeah. And like we know that we know this black canary amazing. t-shirt. I want that black canary t-shirt. JD. Yes. Uh, before I realized your list wasn't ranked, I threw homesick pilots in the number five slot for you. But guess what? We're going to talk about it later. Cool. Uh, Bitterroot. That's me. It's me. It's me. Uh, this has been on my list every year, every. the last couple of years. Um, it has ended for the time being uh in 2021 with does actually that you bit, does that make you bitter alec actually you know it's <laughs> it's funny brian i didn't know it was ending i had assumed like we were coming to the end of an arc and they always take a pretty significant hiatus they've done like an arc a year for three years yeah. mm-hmm. and i hit the end of the issue and it says the end i'm like wait what no 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 that's not that's not right uh it is the end for now um, I actually think this third arc is the strongest arc of the series so far. It is a little more hopeful and very intersectional in a way that the first couple of arcs weren't. And mm-hmm. the back matter of this talks a little bit about just the ways that the world has changed since they started writing this book. Pre-COVID, pre the Black Lives Matter rallies of 2020. Uh, and how really like they need to stop and kind of reassess what they want to do that they want to do more and that they will do more um but for now this is this is kind of the end of the road and it ties some ends on a lot of things but it does tease when the book returns that it will be set in the 40s about 20 years later and does have like a flash forward to the Sangares taking down Nazis in concentration concentration camps. Yeah. So um Good. the end, the end for now, but uh I, as soon as there's more, I will have it in my hot little hands. I uh I I should probably read this series if only for when it returns, because I personally have uh two pins one is of hellboy one is of captain america 
and below it it says i punch nazis yeah yes. for, for anyone definitely read bitter root everyone should be reading bitter root for anyone who's not familiar with the premise it is uh for the first three arcs set in the harlem renaissance of the 1920s and is about a family of demon hunters the sangares fighting these demons that are born out of hatred and out of fear and out of sort of the worst impulses of humanity and sort of their own anger in response to that eventually oh, uh, so that so oh god they're gonna be very busy in the 40s then yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say, so when they when they come back do they just put it 100 years later <laughs> You know, they they did a one shot. I think between the first two arcs, yeah, they, the red, those the red hook summer. I think is what it's I think called. yeah, something something along those lines. Um, that jumps to different points in time. I could see them if they revisited that format, actually doing something set contemporarily. I, yeah. I don't think that's unrealistic at all. Angela Green Lantern. Ooh. Yes. So. Um... After the good but dense and weird uh, <laughs> Grant Morrison run, um, which you know is this the Grant Morrison one's good, but this uh, kind of is a little bit more return to regular form. I feel for Green Lantern because the only other like Green Lantern run I've read is. Um, a decent chunk of the color war stuff and like blackest night and like that era mm. of green lantern and like that expansion of the mythos is what um got me into green lantern as an idea because just like uh i was saying earlier talking about like uh how x-men could be its own comic line like its mm -hmm. entire own comic line i feel like green lantern could also yeah. probably be that as well um one great trick this uh book pulls off is the juggling of so many characters like so many different green lanterns but the basic premise for this run is there's some type of terrorist attack where the central battery blows up and destroys most of the capital city on oa and because the central battery is blown up everyone like all of the green lanterns are immediately deactivated uh, and so it's just like this fallout and like there's only a couple of green lanterns left because they kind of too yeah 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 because they they their power sources are like they're tapping into will through a different way yeah. uh joe joe's ring recharges itself yeah and uh oh shoot Kelly's. kelly thank you yep kelly's exactly. got like a krona's gauntlet style weapon that was never connected to the battery right yeah but yeah so it's this really good uh it's this really good juggling it's, the new gods are somehow connected they show up at one point and then ascend john so like that's how he gets his powers back it's because he ascends um because he's the best green lantern i i would definitely say he is definitely my green lantern uh because i grew up with the timverse um and uh, so yeah, he's he's John's definitely my lantern. With some, especially with like this, the past like five five years, uh, five ten years of expansion of Green Lanterns. You have Baz, Jess, who like I'm just getting to know through this one, and then um, the Gauntlet Green Lantern, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, mm -hmm. 
who's just this Brazilian hothead, like 12 years old, and she has the most powerful weapon in the universe. Um, yeah, it's a uh, probably each of them could probably carry their own book. The fact that for so long DC editorial wanted Hal to be the Green Lantern, and it's like, no, there's way too many different people glob onto different ones. Like, you cannot have one central Green Lantern. Yeah, you're like, up to you're up to like nine Earth Green Lanterns at this point. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's not counting Alan Scott. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yep. The couple of other things I dig about this, and I'm going to take this to segue into into uh, our next interlude. I like that this kind of removes it from being just space cops or mm-hmm. space military. Yep. And I like that it ties it into sort of the magic and cosmology of the DC universe. There's some stolen magic that has been powering the battery that maybe has to do with Jim World. And when we talk about future state stuff in a little bit, teaser there. We'll talk about maybe some of the other Green Lantern adjacent things that have been teased. But next interlude, I actually wanted to talk about two specific Green Lantern issues. Uh, A third of the first Future State Green Lantern issue, and then the 2021 annual. (laughs) Brian, you're laughing. You know what these have in common. I do. One of my favorite Green Lanterns. I was going to ask, is, I guess, is she your favorite Green Lantern? I really like her. I really like Joe, too. Yeah. And Kelly is growing on me a lot. Like, I I definitely like the newer ones who have shown up in the last decade. Um, so, but, so then comes the question of, uh, is she a Green Lantern? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> maybe my favorite Green Lantern, definitely now my favorite Yellow Lantern, there Jessica Cruz. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. That was, that and that was a that was reveal. that. That's the cold shot you're most proud of, isn't it, Alex? No, no. I mean, that wasn't really a cold shot. We saw what that status yeah, quo okay, was at the end of future state. Like, okay. I'm not no, counting no. that one. Um, although, in a moment, I will. I will talk about my favorite cold <laughs> shot. Um, no, I just. <sighs> you're not wrong when you ask. Is just my favorite. She might realistically be because I think she's got this great arc that is about mm-hmm. if it is you have the potential to overcome great fear she in a very literal way deals with that in terms of agoraphobia and anxiety and these very real world contemporary kinds of fear that are not necessarily rational fears of oh my fighter jet might explode i need to not worry about that while i'm piloting it um, but are maybe harder to conquer that aren't just mind yeah. over matter. And seeing her take that arc of being powering to Green Lantern to now Yellow Lantern and a flavor of Yellow Lantern that says, look, I can control this, but also there is a path to be empathetic about fear that is different than what the Sinestro Corps has ever stood for. And I want to find that. Like, I think that's a really powerful kind of character development. Yeah, the idea the idea that given her history and, and what she has been through, the fact that she probably understands fear better than any of them. Yeah. Yeah. And not just overcoming well, but and living diff- with. I guess I should say in a different way than any of them. I yeah. Yeah. Well, that's also like kind of tapping into way back in uh Blackest Night when like each of them made 
temporary copies of their rings like for 24 hours you could like apparently give your ring to another yeah uh person and so like those rings seek people out and like uh before it goes to um before the yellow lantern goes to ultimately uh to batman didn't it well it did at first and then he was like nah fuck that he's just like he rejected it <laughs> um it, i mean because of course but like because he does i mean it would make sense that why like batman would become a great lantern it's because of how he uses fear to like it sells fear in people but then also like you could you could definitely write it to where it's like it's because he knows fear because yeah. he like the reason he became batman is because he's a scared little boy that lost his parents and he doesn't want anybody else to be that again having a not just like medic like torture uh torture addicts becoming the yellow lanterns uh could definitely make for some good um just kind of like everyone loved the uh the cat red lantern uh (laughs) because like yes because it like it it, like he has this righteous anger to him Jimmy Olsen's favorite Red Lantern? Yes, Jimmy Olsen. There you go. Oh my god. Alright. JD. Silver Coin, number two. Yeah. Silver Coin is a series that I did not know I needed in my life. Uh, for those of you who aren't following, um, essentially it is, it is an anthology horror comic uh, developed by uh, Michael Walsh. He draws every issue. And each issue has a different writer, and it follows the titular silver coin, which is it is revealed the the origins of the coin in issue five, which uh, Walsh writes himself. But each issue takes place in a different time period with a very different set of characters. So we have uh, like we have one that is all about a rock band during the era of disco that is written by Chip Zdarsky. We have one that is set during the far flung future of like the twenty four hundreds by jeff lemire we uh recently had one set in las vegas written by rom v uh but the one i want to talk about because it it kind of hit something that i really really love is the issue girls of summer by kelly thompson you want to know something this almost made my list of one shots to talk about too yes because this is my favorite it's my favorite one because i love slashers i went on to the podcast defending defending your movie so i could defend one of the best slashers, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. I love, I love these things um, because it, it, uh, Stephen Graham Jones, who has uh, written him, who has written uh, some great slashers on his own as novels. Uh, I'm, I'm going to point to uh, The Last Final Girl and Last Year's My Heart is a Chainsaw, uh, which is getting a sequel this year. Um, but I love the idea of a slasher being uh like the like you know the final girl like the the slasher like the killer is the ultimate bully so we all and like so that's why we identify with the final girl because the final girl goes to confront and defeat the the killer whereas in this one it it turns it on its head and that the one that is getting bullied becomes the killer because of the the magic of the titular coin and the just the absolute grotesque beauty of the art 
and the kill and like the, the kills in this in this story and the anger that is being emitted from every character uh just it 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 really rank, it ranks high as one of my favorite single issues from last year. But every, like, and like, what's great is also that like every issue, like even though it's like it's set during different time period, but we always follow the same coin. Therefore, a lot of the stories will tie into each other. Each other like the the firefighter who finds the coin at the end of the first issue pops up in another issue during a home invasion. Yeah. And there, and like so, we have all the we have all these, and like we're getting more, like we're getting uh new issues this year. Like uh, Matthew Rosenberg just wrote the most recent issue. I think we're getting one written by Vita Ayala. Uh, there's going to be some interesting stuff coming coming soon, and I'm really I'm I'm just really happy with this comic and this issue in particular. Speaking uh, of your love of slashers, have you ever read Hack Slash? No, but it's been on my list to to get to for a long time. I think you would dig it. I, I I know I would. I didn't it, it had a crossover with uh someone's mm, why are you nailbiter? Why are you speaking right now? Vamp, yeah, vampire. Yeah, that's like, like Vampirella and and like the there's there, there was like a reanimator Vampirella comic. I need to read the Vampirella comics because those are ones that are like they're way better than they have any right to be. Yeah, I will also say like <laughs> um the the idea of like a series having the same artist but different writers is definitely interesting of like that like that's kind of the hook like the central stableness is the artist compared to the writer Mm -hmm. um but also you talking about the final girl becoming the slasher i was (laughs) reminded of that recent um vince vaughn movie freaky yes you know that is one of like that along with Jason Lives and Scream. Those are my my top three slashers of all time. Uh, yeah, free. Like I I I saw the trailers for Freaky. And I was like, this looks so dumb. I'm probably gonna love it. Uh, yeah, it is. I have it on. It's on HBO Max right now. Like it's on. It's on my queue. Um, cause yeah, uh, you're it's... gonna you're gonna have fun with it. It is incredible. Also. Uh, it's got Alan Ruck from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and or, or uh, a more contemporary reference. Uh, six, he's he's in Succession, but he's he's always he's always going to be uh, he's always going to be Cameron for me. Speaking of clever segues, so this is six hours long. Checkmate, Angela. <laughs> so Checkmate it was a, a miniseries by Brian Michael Bendis, kind of digging into the. Um, all of the, uh, I guess, spy, the different spy masters in the DC universe. Um, uh, funded by Green Arrow, technically, uh, well, <laughs> and the fact that you called. The, uh, this is think, it. This is yeah. it. This is my biggest called shot of 2021. Yeah, you did. You did call it where uh, King is Kamandi. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, which like and that issue sh- sold out like by by uh I had to like I think by I think by digitally or like I had to wait a week or two for my shop to get it in, but yeah so technically run technically checkmate is run by Kamandi, uh, who for some reason is calling himself King right now. But uh, what I really love is the um what I think is the standout for me is the lowest kind of sidebar. Yeah, because her 
dad dies in this he's killed by uh leviathan the organization and then it turns out she has a brother who (laughs) sam lane has been secretly raising to be a master spy and so it's just like okay yeah he's now in justice league and it's great i was gonna say the really funny thing about the publication for this is this book got delayed a while around future state and all of that so all of the big reveals around lois's brother got spoiled in justice league like two or three months early because that book stayed on schedule yeah until it didn't yeah it it, it suffered it suffered in the big comic delay too yeah. yeah eventually um my favorite is uh Superman shows up at one point and Lois's brother is nearby and he's like, Hey honey, who's that? Wait, wait a minute. He looks like John. Why does he look like John? (laughs) 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 And Lois just like, I'll I'll, I'll tell you later, honey. (laughs) That was very good. I still want to know if there's a tie between Dr. Nakamura and this and Jay Nakamura in Superman, Son of Kal-El. Yeah. We shall, we shall see. Because uh, they're, uh, well, because no, I, mean, I don't know, because he's, Bendis is mainly concentrating on Justice League right now because he's not on the Superman books anymore. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that that's not planned in some other way. Yeah. Hey, folks, your friendly neighborhood Alex cutting in. We are about halfway through the track we recorded at this point. We went for about four hours. I have trimmed the first two of that down, but it's going to take me a little bit longer to get through the second half. Rather than keeping everyone waiting, though, we're going to break this episode in two. So this concludes part one of Panelology's favorite comics of 2021. And as soon as possible, I will release part two as a separate track. Thanks. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you are looking forward to more. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.